Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. What? Consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from. This is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that longs to one day wear a pencil thin mustache. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're delving even deeper into the mouth of March Madness as we welcome the Horrorversary Podcast and Sledgehammer Horror to help us break down the remaining classics from our 1991 bracket. And whether or not you have sauntered into a detective's office, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your basket hole. <laughs> and of course, you can find us out on social media. We're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And of course, it is on the Book of Face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and in the wall shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Friday, March 12th, we do have events that are probably happening. Yep, but since we're recording this early, we don't know what they are. So make sure to keep track of all the shenanigans there. But more importantly, there on all social media, you're going to find our brackets. Because without the bracket... How are you going to play the game? And remember, show your work. Absolutely show your work. And we have shown our work in the previous round. Mm-hmm. So much so that we have said goodbye to four cult classics for... Classics from, you know, the last 30 years. One of my theatrical spirit animals. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But 1991 Soldiers On. And as we go into the next round here, we are never by ourselves. Mm-mm. In fact, making a very welcome return here to the Mouth of March Madness is the host of a podcast that is literally kind of a celebration in everything that is the Mouth of March Madness. Uh, podcast that celebrates the anniversary of movies anywhere from 10 years down to like 70 or 80 at this point. Uh, you know him as just, you know, one of our, our nearest and dearest. Oh, yeah. If it's March, you know, if, if it's March and it's the 1990s, you know you're going to hear him. <laughs> Welcome back from Horrorversary, Adrian Torres. I'm just having uh, flashbacks to last year when I was like, oh, you know what? This looks like it's totally going to be easy. There's one movie right here, and there's one movie right here that I'm totally set for. And then I remembered, oh, genius is involved. (laughs) I've got to be on my guard. (laughs) Wild card, bitches! Well, you know, it's the... Listen, there are many decades out there that we could potentially have you tackle. But. Yeah, yeah, no, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be nightmare junkhead, and it wouldn't be the friendship between Mr. Genius McGee and I if there wasn't some type of uh, loving and combative nature to it. Like any time that I listen to to screencast or screen drafts, and they mention that the show is you know about competitive uh, competitively collaborating, um, you know, on what they're doing on the show, I'm like, that's that's genius and I's friendship. That's that. That's what it is right there. It comes at night, baby. It comes at night. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's hereditary. Yes, it is, and it's right in the middle of Midsommar. 
So before all the madness takes place here, Adrian, where can our listeners find you out on social media? Please plug and promote away. You could easily find me on Twitter at Yo Adrian Torres, which recently, since we're, we're recording this, you know, early um, this last week, they had uh, the meme that was going around that was quote retweet and explain in photos what uh, what your um, what, what your screen handle is. So mine was really easy. Just find it a picture of, of literally the Rocky saying Yo Adrian in the second film <laughs> and then an image of a field where you can put in your last name and. And, try, and typed Taurus in there, and it was very easy. Um, the show you can find at Horrorversary. Again, I, I try to keep it very simple so you can actually find these things instead of start to type something and lots of weird stuff shows up. But um, at, at this time that the show's or that this episode's coming out, there should be a couple episodes for Horrorversary in there. We're getting ready to to ramp up and and just trying to find out when um, people's scheduling things work. So. When you hear this, hop on over there because you should be able to find some fun stuff. I'm always looking forward to it because I do really enjoy the guests that you bring on uh, <laughs> because everyone's just so genuine about their love of the movies. And that's that's why I like doing it and continue doing it because I think that if I was trying to do something that was a little bit more normal, being the type of person I am and, and, and being as anxious and anxiety ridden as I can, I'd be like, well, there's like 75 different versions of this. And there's so many great voices out there. I cut out the middleman by saying, Hey, we're going to focus on, on movies that are celebrating anniversaries that people a want to hear about. Then B I'm bringing on voices and people that they'd actually like to hear about. And then I've got a format where I'm not the person who has to do the most talking. So it's kind of a win, win, win. See, you're giving way too much behind the uh, the how the sausage is made there. Because that's why we brought you on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I mean, it, it it works, and I think I like that's something that I love about listening to all these episodes from um, Into the Mouth of March Madness. I got it. One try, <laughs> boom. Um, it is the the fact that you have so many returning guests, so you really get to know those people, especially if you listen to their shows. But then there's always a few new voices that you're bringing in from other great podcasts. So it becomes this giant collaborative thing. Over the last year, um, you know, there there was lots of either necessary or unnecessary or odd fragmentation when it came to the horror community. So when you get to see something like into the mouth of March Madness that you guys are doing and you have all these voices coming together and saying, no, 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 no. That horror, the community of horror as a whole in the world is just a giant big melting pot of people who love the same things. And it's an example of, of getting to bring all of them together. So I, it's really wonderful what you guys do. Thank you, man. I wasn't prepared to cry or shed a tear. right? Thank you. Well, listen, more than anything, it's just always an excuse to get together and talk horror movies Mm -hmm. with our friends. But we do try to have the familiar, but Uh then also with some new voices. And yeah, here actually uh, upcoming in the next decades, we have two podcasts. Actually, they're going to be making their debut. But, you know, if it's the 90s, my friend, you know, we're (laughs) we're we're tight rolling our jeans uh, maybe sprucing up our hair, but 30 years ago, Adrian, do you remember what life was like at that time? Uh, it was, I mean, it's crazy to think about like the beginning nineties, the, the early nineties, because as you guys have been guests on uh Horrorsary, and do you know that I'm a big fan of, of champing that weird period that people <laughs> overlook, which is like 
that when you have like the last two years of one decade going into the first two years of another decade, you have films that are both kind of paving the way to say this is what we want horror to be like and you have films that are saying well we're still holding on to those things that you liked for it so so that's what's interesting about the movies we're going to be talking about and then thinking about it in general is the the beginning of the 90s are, are kind of this weird crazy era where it's still really holding on to the 80s but it's it's saying hey let's do some weird shit too also people are going to be wearing lots of pastels and neons yeah and leather Lots of leather. It does get weird. Well, leather never never goes out of fashion. It only chafes over time. (laughs) It becomes more comfortable. (laughs) Well, we have four films vying to get into the round of the Frightful Four to represent the year 1991. That leathery goodness. Oh, well, let's start with our first matchup here. And we have two just tonally different films both about man eaters. <laughs> we have Silence of the Lambs going up against Critters Three, and we're going to leave this open to our guest. Which of the two shall we delve into first? We got to go Critters Three. We got to go Critters Three because it's if you look at these four movies, I think it's kind <laughs> of the the outlier of of all of them. Not necessarily the bad way. I mean, every mm-hmm. every film out there, of course, has its fans. But when you look at these, it's the one that nowadays you're kind of scratching your head a little bit about because you have something like um, uh, what's it called? Cast, cast a deadly spell, which we'll get to in a little bit, but that in like the last several years, especially in the last year with HBO max coming out that you've had lots of people who've been talking about it. Whereas critters three critters three (laughs) is a film that, that, regardless of where you try to find it, you're going to have to put money down on it. And that's because it's a film that like, well, the only reason we're going to put it out anywhere is if we can make a little bit of cash on it. I own the critters four pack and uh, I'm a proud member of the critters army. <laughs> which, which, of, and the, I, we're not trying to show any hands or anything, but which out of the four original critters films would you say gets the least amount of rewatch from you? Oh, by 04. 04, I think I've only seen twice. Uh, Critters 3, about five times. Critters 1, about maybe six. Critters 2, about a dozen. At least. Well, yeah, that's that, That's because one Mr. Genius Agui on command, he, he doesn't have to do it now, but would go into the full jingle from number two, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Hungry Heifer. Well, and then let me ask you all this and posing this out. We obviously all kind of enjoy the Critters franchise. Uh This one definitely is the outlier, but what I really enjoyed, and we kind of talked about it in the first round, is that this one at least is trying to expand, be it in the suburbs and the apartment setting, but it really gave me troll vibes, and I just (laughs) couldn't... Minus the Cantos profane score right there, which I think could have added an element to it. But do you remember initially, Adrian, was this one that you eventually caught via because you had to via video? But do you remember when you eventually encountered this the first time? I'd see. I don't remember the first time that I watched it. I think it was one that I came to late in the game and had always seen like one and two and enjoyed them. <laughs> and then like many other series, um, whether it be the Charles Band or, or Ghoulies or anything like that, that you forget and you're like, oh, there's there's more of these movies. But no, no one really talks about these movies. I forgot about those. And then you watch them and you're like, 
Oh, okay. I, I, I get it. So it was years and years later. I want to say that it was at like video library or something. I kind of stumbled upon it and was like, there's a, there's a critters three. Okay. I'll watch it. Um, you know, I actually just bought critters attack. I found I, I was at, I was at a thrift store and checking shit out and they had Critters Attack on for on Blu-ray for sale. I'm like, well, sold. That's what I don't have. That's the one with D. Wallace. So yeah. Well, that's the power of of course horror fans. We are very loyal almost to a fault. Yeah. But the fact that a tiny terror, scurry is scary. All those things are timeless. There's a reason we go back to it. And I did like still the the Kyoto Brothers, the, the practical effects, the design here. But yeah. being this was technically my first time viewing when we watched it. Oh, well, I you know I knew enough of I, I've seen that because of the Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. But I yeah. also Adrian watched The Quick and the Dead for the first time. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. So watching those two within the vicinity. All I wanted him to do was take out a little six shooter and just start knocking them off one at a time, <laughs> but didn't get that, but got to see just the origin of this superstar. And, you know, how long has it been since you've watched Critters 3, do you think? Oh, it's it's got to be at least oh, 10, 15 years, okay. I'd say. Uh, enough so that when I was uh, reading up on it to get a refresher before I even started to watch it. And then jumped into the movie. Um, anyone who's going to read the plot synopsis out there, it's wrong. It's it's just dead wrong. It doesn't matter where you go to read about it, whether it's on IMDb, Letterbox, or what have you. They all mention the same thing, saying that this film takes place in a Los Angeles apartment. Correct. Now. You are 100% correct, Adrian. That is bullshit. It takes place in Topeka. Because everybody forgets it, and one of the things that I think maybe endears the people who are on this podcast of the series a little bit more yeah. is the fact that number one and two take place in Grover's, Grover's Bend, Bend. That they mention that it's in Kansas, and they mention that it's a little bit uh, that it's not that far away from Kansas City. The weird thing is, if you don't live here, the fact that in the third movie they mentioned Topeka is Topeka and Kansas City aren't right next no. to each other. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But they go to the big city. It's like we're going to capital city. And so well, it, if it, to it, Grover's Bend, so, the so, big city is Topeka. It is the capital. So, yeah, yeah I loved it. Well, it's the, it's, the, it's the second biggest city. Like, it, it's not necessarily like it's not like, hey, you know, we're going to go to New York City. New York no, City? It's like no, no, we're we're not going to New York City. We're we're going just outside Atlantic City. Is when you're going to Topeka compared to Kansas City. No. Like, there's a big difference there. No, it's the difference between Manhattan and Manhattan. <laughs> there's a Manhattan, New York, and there's the other Manhattan. It's the difference between uh, a Critters Three and a Ghoulies Three. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no. Quite honestly, no. I'm so my apologies for having to have you seek this one out. But no, whatever. Okay. I'm not so. Don't apologize, dude. It's Critters Three. It was $2. That's fair. So so that being said, did you enjoy the rewatch? I I I did and I didn't. Like there's like there's for a movie that's an hour and 25 minutes, there's some parts that drag. But it's it's fun even if it's tonally like all over the place. Like it spends a lot of time 
kind of setting up. I mean, they're, they're the Critters movies. You don't have to do a lot except for say that, oh, <laughs> there's like there's some eggs that are left over from the previous time. They don't really even do that. You just kind of had Charlie pop up and then it's like, oh, there's some eggs over there. And you're like, well, why? has he just been like trolling through the fields just a little bit outside of Grover's Bend for a couple of years trying to find like five eggs? He's Charlie the Bounty Hunter. I mean, that's his job to be the critter he, buster. He has a gun that's partially made out of a can of pinto beans. Right? He's the MacGyver. He's the hillbilly MacGyver of intergalactic bounty hunters. He's like okay. Bubba Fett. <laughs> he's, he's more like Bubba Fett. God. See, this is the kind of content we need for Patreon, man. I'm telling Bubba you. Bubba Fett. I'm telling you the adventures of Bubba, Bubba Fett. That is top dollar. So uh, from Critters 3, a film that, you know, even your most seasoned horror fan may have not have seen, to a film that almost any normie probably has seen or at least knows about, Mm -hmm. Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. We talked about, you know, our initial interaction with it. Uh, Adrian, what is your background with this particular movie? It's it's Silence of the fucking Lambs, man. (laughs) It's like, this is... This is like this just feels evil. I mean, you you don't want to you don't want to dunk on any movie, but just the fact that you're like, hey, it's Silence of the Lambs versus Critters Three. It just saying that out loud is dunking on Critters Three because you're talking yeah. about Silence of the Lambs. There's, as you put it, with with Normies or, or even people who maybe haven't fully jumped into the pantheon of watching every movie that's out there. People have heard. Of Silence of the Lambs. You're talking about at this point, the, the show will have already started when this episode's out. But right now, for the last couple of weeks, you've had trailers for the CBS show Clarice that are nothing but preying upon the fact that people know of the Silence events in Silence of the Lambs. Yep. To the point where it doesn't really look like the show has any identity outside of the events from Silence of the Lambs. Like, that's how much this film is baked into the collective consciousness of people like silence of the lambs is is one of those movies that will always kind of stand the test of time it's always a film that gets brought up in the argument of is this horror is it not who cares mm-hmm. about that it's it's a regardless of what field you want to put it into it's a well-crafted uh beautifully made procedural film that not only ended up influencing uh, eons and decades of procedural television, but is a film that always ends up in conversation because of the amount of awards that it won. Yeah, it is horror for everybody. That be the whole debate like, is it horror? It's not. It's a serial killer looking for another serial killer, and they both eat people or skin people. So it's a horror movie, and it is one that once. A horror movie about serial killers that won best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, blah, 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 blah. And the one that has, it's been mocked and parodied. And again, even if you've never seen the movie, if you hear like, hello, Clarice, or anything, you're instantly, you know what they're talking about. And meanwhile, it's not even really about Hannibal Lecter either. It's about Buffalo Bill. So, yeah. Well, like, that's the best part of any good horror film. And uh, the original Alien, you only see the alien itself for three to five minutes of the movie. And it's an hour uh-huh. and 50 minutes. In Silence of the Lambs, it's an hour and 50 minutes. You get about five to ten minutes of, you know, Hannibal the Cannibal. But you don't need any more of that. I think if you have done that, then you kind of show your hand. No, this movie is so deptly balanced. But... Genius here, actually. Oh, go ahead, Adrian. 
I, I do I do have a question. If we're going by that logic, does that mean that Judy Dench is technically a mass murderer as well in Shakespeare in Love? Because she's only in the film for a short period of time, and she wins an award for that movie. That's fair. Yeah, that's true. And, it, you know, it's Dame Judy Dench. Hell, thank you for letting me get to say J- Dame Judy Dench here on the podcast. <laughs> she needs to do a proper horror movie. I would, I would seek that out and watch it. She plays Tangia. <laughs> the early year? No, technically it'd still be the, the later, later years. years. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, Genius actually had a chance to watch Manhunter for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious now, having watching Manhunter and then Silence, not necessarily how they compare to each other, but just that world that, that they've, they've created, the... the um, Mythos? Yes. Yeah, what is that like at this point, having watched those two back-to-back recently? It's interesting, but they're two totally different Hannibal Lecters to me, you know? Uh-huh. I'm not one to say, like, you know, Anthony Hopkins is my Hannibal Lecter, but he's my Hannibal <laughs> Lecter. While I enjoyed the evilness of Brian Cox's and the methodical of it, the mind games of it, just the sheer brutality of seeing it in the play in uh, Silence more cemented that image of him to me of that character so like when i think of hannibal lecter i don't hear brian cox i hear anthony hopkins so that's totally fair you mean you don't you don't hear mads no i don't you know what that's one show i haven't got into dude i I want to i heard i heard i would love it i heard i would eat it with fava beans but i haven't got it so for me yeah anthony hopkins is as of now my Hannibal genius, Lecter. genius. I, I'm, I'm proposing. I'm willing to, to, to do this with you as just a short little experiment. Since you're, you're jumping into it. If you want to do like a short, limited uh, podcast series of you jumping into that show, I, I would want to do that just to because it's that's one of those shows that you want everybody to see and to see somebody who's experiencing it um, now, like after the fervor has died down. And people have stopped asking Brian Fuller if there's going to be a fourth season. I'd, <laughs> I, I want to hear your thoughts, especially because there's so many horror directors who are involved with it, whose names you know and, and like and, and how many characters that getting your reactions on it because it's a great show, but it's also a polarizing show. So you should definitely dive into it. We can call it the uh, Mickelson Minute. Yeah, I'm, I'm game. It writes itself. The Mad Genius <laughs> the Mads genius. There we go. Well, Adrian, by any chance, did you see this one during uh, in its original theatrical run? Oh no, no, no. That was that that was a little bit before I I got to the the chance to do that. The very first R rated theatrical movie that I ever got to see was Eraser. I'm saving the best for last. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd seen, you know, some on, on home video and stuff by, by that, that point, you know, was, was able to rent and, and, and watch stuff like that. But the first one that I got to see in the theater was my uncle took me to see that movie because he's like, oh, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's going to be the greatest thing known to man. And then you walk into it and you're like, wait, what happened now? He just shot an alligator in the face and yet it wasn't the coolest thing in the world. Well, you know, Chuck Russell can only do so much, you know, let's face it. Yeah, early, there's a, there's that jumping point of early Chuck Russell from to, 
Oh, I'll bring it up. I am I am wrath, Chuck Russell. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So obviously we enjoy both of these films, but only one can make it into the round of the Hateful Eight. And the first little bit of a criteria we have is so nice. We do it twice. We're going to ask which of the two films is closer to your heart. Closer to the heart. Pulling on the nostalgia strings. So, Adrian, between Silence of the Lambs and Critters 3, which is closer to your heart? Well, if I look deep inside me and find where the, the crite is gnawing away at my soul, that's going to be the one that I have to get to the curb. Um, I'm, I'm going to put the lotion on the skin so I don't get the hose again and, and choose silence of the lambs because you can't, I mean, I, I know there's plenty of points where people are working on their brackets for this and there's a point that it gets blown up and I can just, I can sense in my bones that there will be some point where silence of the lambs is the one that, that gets left off that everybody's lamenting, didn't make it forward. And I don't want to start that when it comes to something like this, like, it's it's Silence of the Lambs. It, it's a movie that it, it's when you look at the horror movies that are on uh, the Criterion Collection that are on the disc, it's not as vast a, a list of movies as you'd want it to be. And yet, Silence of the Lambs, anytime it gets put out on a disc that's uh, Criterion, that it's always championed. It doesn't matter if it was a laser disc. Doesn't matter if it was DVD. Doesn't matter if it was the 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 Blu-ray that they put out. They keep on finding things to put into it, and they keep on finding ways to clean it up and have it look more beautiful and have things to say about it. And you don't get that with every movie. No offense to Critters Three. You're not you're not going to have that same thing as time goes on. But Silence of the Lambs is one of those uh, of fa- foundation blocks. It, it might not be every person's favorite film. But it's instrumental in in how lots of people process um, mainstream horror, mm-hmm. e- even though it feels like it, it might be kind of outside of that. So I, I there's no way, it, it, to my opinion, when you're going to the one that's closer to the heart, it, I, I would have to rip out my heart if I didn't choose Silence of the Lambs. Okay, that is truly showing one's work. Uh, genius. This one might, I mean, listen. We're we're all delaying. <laughs> I think what some people say is the inevitable. We like to be thorough here. Oh yeah. So which of the two is closer to your heart? Critters three. No. Um. Actually, here's the thing about this one. I grew up with Kreitz. I grew up like championing Kreitz. I still think this is a fun movie. Yeah, it's diminishing returns because if you ask me, my critters just critters too, right? <laughs> and but see, I got so I got to give love for Critters three. But I remember vividly vividly seeing this in the theater questioning what was going on getting the hands put in front of me and still looking around the corner and seeing what's going on meanwhile what's going on nothing i'll tell you later right and to this day to this fucking day you remember we were at this place and like it was like i can name that tune in two seconds oh no we were watching maniac and the and as soon as q or anytime i hear just the boom Boom, the first two notes of Q Lazarus. I'm like, is that Q Lazarus? I can't watch Monk without going into this Ted Levine like death spiral. And like I I, I yeah, it is so ingrained in my DNA that I would be remiss like you, Adrian, if I didn't say Silence of the Lambs. 
it's so, it's a Pavlovian response for genius. Totally for anybody who has seen him is. out in the wild, it's... if if that song starts playing for a second, genius starts starts doing the the little dance, and it comes out of nowhere. He starts with the lipstick, of course. And if I'm you know him now. and you see I'm him doing start doing that, now. you just go, "Oh fuck, it's gonna happen." Oh no! And half the time we accidentally say that out loud, and people who haven't witnessed it are like, "Wait, what's gonna happen?" Yeah. And then there goes genius, starting sashaying the hips, and the me. shoulders go, and you're like, "Well, I'd fuck yep, me so there. hard, right?" Like, okay, so you are 100 percent correct, dude. The fucking thing, the, the really quick, fucking, I had this song, uh, so I made the playlist at work back in the Moon Marble days. And, um, I, of course I put that song on there. Right. And every time that song came on, I talked to my coworker, Kay, to the point where she's like, next time you make that playlist, take that fucking song off. And I'm like, what's the matter, Kay? You don't want to dance with me. Right. And so it's so ridiculous. And then remember when it pops up and when it popped up in maniac, when it popped up in maniac and like the first fucking thing, she goes, Hey, let's put on some music. I'm like, is that is that Cuba? It is. Would you fuck me? It that made the movie uh, that that coined the phrase deal sealer, you know. So I got yeah. There's something about Silence of the Fucking Lambs, Pavlovian, sir. Like as you said, just I can't help myself. It's ridiculous. So you're voting for Silence of the Lambs? Right? No, Critter Three. No. <laughs> Listen to what he said. I, so my vote also is Silence of the Lambs. I also had a horribly awkward theatrical viewing of it, and my folks didn't so much cover my eyes as just just go, yeah, Greg, that's multiple migs. You'll be. I, we already know you're flinging that in your room. This yeah, I was 14 at the time, so they knew. They knew. But all of those things, just uh, even like I said, Adrian, um, I had my dad check the house before I would go in because I was just so freaked out. So yeah, of course my vote being closer to the heart is silence of the lambs. Now that being said from the heart to the head, we're actually asking if you were to remove one of these films from the year of 1991, which one would leave the year horror? <laughs> stop it. Stop it. We are not punching down on this one. My friend, no, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. I love critters. I love critters three. So, uh, Adrian, we're going to let have, you start. I, this. No, have have genius go first on this genius. one. I I, get, I, I want I want to make sure that we're we're Being either in unison or or if I have to leave. <laughs> right? No. Even even fans of critters like one and two don't know if that, that there's a critters three. You know, um, hell, some people don't even know there's a critters two. Right? <laughs> Yet it's done by Mick Garris. So if, if Critters 3 disappeared, cool. You know, we'd still... I'm not saying cool isn't, like, fine, but, you know, we still got two. And I'm okay with that, as long as we have two. But if we take away Silence of the Lambs, we take away Horror for Normies. We take away, like, an Oscar award. A proof, many years before Shape of Water and Fish Sticks, that a horror movie, hardcore horror is worthy of Academy Awards, is worthy of talk and praises and think pieces. So anybody who looks down on horror fans or horror in general, Silence of the Lambs, shuts them the fuck up. So (laughs) without that, who knows where we would be? The fact that it can make horror for the mainstream is a profitable, wonderful film with a capital F. Something that us horror fans have known for decades. They just now found out with Silence of the Lambs. 
So yeah, Silence of the Lambs would leave this cinema poorer without it. Showing the work, nice work. Well, I see. I, I had to look up because I, I was like, I don't, I don't want to completely speak out of turn when it comes to the the Academy Awards part. So I wanted to 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 double check. And the interesting thing about that is that you still would have had a a thriller horror adjacent film that was nominated for a whole bunch of awards that that was still there in in that year in Cape Fear which is the the interesting thing. I mean Silence of the Lambs like like I said that changes the the way things look when when it comes to having all those procedurals whether that's you know a, a good thing or a negative thing in some people's eyes. I mean CBS might not exist possibly if we <laughs> if we didn't have that. But I mean it when you have a film that that causes that seismic stir and changes something in the water the way that film does that I think that's why you can't remove Silence of the Lambs because you're still going to have little creature features. You're still going to have Charles Band type films that are out there that they might not be completely similar, but they're in that ilk of stuff like Critters. So I, I think by removing Silence of the Lambs, you, you do have this giant ripple effect that occurs. Excellent work. And what's interesting, and we've all mentioned it before, is the fact that both of these are still are franchises that are still putting out material to this day, yeah. which is kind of incredible. So the question is, if you were to take away one of them, well, one of them, for the most part, you can still backtrack to Manhunter. That still has the ripple effect. Critters 3, obviously you have Critters 2. But if you take away 1991, you take away both Genius and I's theatrical experience. And <laughs> it's still, I, I hate to harp on it, but man, that was awkward and fun and crazy. And... <laughs> I could never have that replaced. So by a straight count of six to nothing, sashaying its way into the round of the Hateful Eight is Silence of the Lambs. Goodbye, critters. <laughs> They're rolling over you. Goodbye, critters. Would you kill more crates with me? I'd kill more crates. I'd kill more crates so hard. Which is going to lead us to... <laughs> possibly... The most interesting matchup that we've had at least a discussion so far, we have Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs going up against an HBO original, Cast a Deadly Spell. Oh my goodness gracious, I don't even know which one to start with. Hey, you know what, Adrian? Which one shall we delve into first? I hate you. I hate you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's go with People... Now, let's do... I'll, I, I'm going to rip the bandaid off. Let's, let's go for Cast a Deadly Spell. You're ripping the Band-Aid off. Oh, my goodness. This sounds yep. like there's a story here. No, no, it's I. OK, we'll just we'll just start and then I'll and then I'll I'll, I'll jump into it because I I have some things that I'm, I'm, I'm pulling as strangers with candy. I've got something to say. I've got something to say. Anytime you need to go Jerry Blank, my friend, that right. is totally fine. That is totally fine. So I'm curious then, because this was something that I know with Genius and I both had some personal ties to it. So uh, let's lay out on the couch. What's going on here? So it's it's a fun film. It's it's an exceedingly fun film. It, it's a great idea. The, the, the fact that you have it uh, in the same bracket as Critters is interesting because th- this movie is the made-for-TV film, but it feels more theatrical 
then critters think, which again, you know, those are budgets. I'm not trying to, but it, it it's talking about what I think makes this film work is that it definitely has that theatricality to it. It, it takes on uh, the greatness of being able to emulate the forties in a way where it doesn't feel too hinky and it feels more genuine and, and of that time and the writing as opposed to we, Oh, we're, we're really pushing these jokes and they're not working. Uh, the, the, the crazy tonal balance it's going for like works really well because of how seriously they're playing things as opposed to letting it fully go into the, we're going to acknowledge that everything kind of has an airplane feel to it, but we're playing it more straight. So it works better. But then you have a couple little elements in the film that don't seem to get talked about that. I feel like in this day and age, we, we do need to. And because there's plenty of films, when we look back at them nowadays, um, I was on a podcast recently where we talked about uh, the Monster Squad for a minute. And, of course, we've talked up on the Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. And if we're taking time to mention, hey, Monster Squad's great, but there's these couple little elements here, we have to do the same thing for something like Cast a Deadly Spell. Oh, yeah. And we're talking about a film where a character by an actor that that I enjoy is reduced to to uh, yeah it, I know it was in the time when it was made but he can't really go back in the time when it comes to transphobia mm-hmm. um and, and having a a trans character get needlessly assaulted in their second scene in the movie without being able to to talk at all um you have the the f word casually uh, dropped in there in conjunction. Um, you have a story point that does in- involve, even if it's consensual, it's still statutory rape. Um, that's mm-hmm. being a plot point. Um, and you have, oh God, what was there? There's, uh, oh, the racism. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is like, it's, I, I saw this movie years ago and I forgot about how entwined that is. That, yeah, to be like, hey, we're technically making a comment on on slavery is one thing, but then playing it for laughs and not really making that that point of saying why it's bad to have slaves and stuff. It would just like part of it was like, ooh, ooh. So it's got all these things that I that I really liked, and then you've got those points that stand out. And I, I mean, you you guys are probably going to say, it, but it was something when I was watching it, I was like. I, I I I I want I want to say something because I I I need to say something because well, no, <laughs> it it just because it, it it stood out as weird to me. No, and we actually mentioned that in mm-hmm. that first round because okay, when you it's and it's it's a good thing that we can approach these things critically and look at it in a modern lens and yeah you know, nowadays yeah, especially that and to be sensitive of those differences and to be aware of how they were represents represented at that time. And we always have to do it the other another time, another place. Warning with a lot of these films. And well, let me ask you this: How long has it been since you've actually watched Cast a Deadly Spell? I I, I can't I can't tell you. Like it's it's been it's been a a long time. I've had it on the watch list for a while. Like it because it's it's popped up places. It was on Prime for a period of time before it ended up on HBO Max. I, I want to say that was a couple years ago because. You, you had on Prime, you were able to get both Cast uh, Deadly Spell and Witch Hunt were on Prime at the same time. And so I made sure to click them both and then 
did, didn't really have a chance to to watch them. And then when um, got HBO Max, it it popped up on the list. And I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta watch this. So I was excited when you guys were like, hey, this is the one one of the ones we need you to watch. I'm like, oh man, it's been a while. I remember that being lots of fun. And I was watching it. I'm like, yeah, this is lots of fun. And then it was like, oh, <laughs> then there. Then there's that bit, and then it goes back to being fun, and then oh, oh, it it is that bit. Yeah, no, that that's definitely what this watch because I exactly I watched this when it first came out because yep. it was part of HBO Free Weekend, and that was a huge mm-hmm. fucking deal. And so I watched it, and fell in love with it, and thought it was fantastic, and maybe watched it once since then. But again, you know, seeing it in Fangoria and all that good stuff. But then upon this rewatch, you're 100 percent you're like like oh. Oh, this is a lot of fun. This is great, and it's like a great melding of. Oh yeah, that's not so good. You know, it's it's almost you almost have to do two another time in other places because, yes, it wasn't like that. It wasn't. It was still irrehensible, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't that frowned upon as it is now, and even more so in the forties of the movies that it's taping. So at the same time, you're like. Oh yeah! Well, it's always interesting if that's the kind of authenticity you want to go with in a movie where uh-huh. we have like Lovecraftian monsters and what have you. It's like you don't have to go that authentic, you know, in terms of cultural <laughs> representation. We live in a man, you know, a world of magic and monsters. So let's go a yeah. little bit beyond. But again, at least, and we are mentioning this because it does deserve to be talked about. Which is no, this is a good thing, Adrian. This is why this is why the kind of discourse we like to bring you on for that. Now that being said, <laughs> let me ask you this. Mm. Clancy Brown, yes or no with the mustache? It's Clancy Brown, so <laughs> yes for for Is everything. It? I mean, come on. I mean, Clancy Brown had a wonderful 2020. For for most people, they consider one of his most recent outputs being 2021. But I I had seen his most recent film in 2020. So so last year you had both the Mortuary uh, mm-hmm. Collection and Promising Young Woman. And the, the uh, fact that he just he, that he shows up and promising young woman, you're like, wait, Clancy wait, Brown is in this for a few minutes. That's fantastic. And somebody was like, you know who a great parent duo would be is Clancy Brown and Jennifer Coolidge. Coolidge. And you're like, <laughs> OK, I'm on board. Not at all. No, that was a nice little surprise there. No, I this was a fun first time watch for me. Um it's really funny. I had HBO and I had assumed because I saw so much of the promotional material with this that I had seen most of the film. And when oh I God. watched it, I was like, wait, no, this is the first time. So watching it with fresh eyes, with this weird bit of nostalgia, it had the total cognitive dissonance feel, which actually I like now kind of being older with that. And David Warner. And David Warner. And it, it, well, it was just... It was the Rick Dalton thing where you're just like, oh, hey, it's it's that person and it's that person. And putting them in this world, which let me ask you, Adrian, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Have well, actually, have you watched the follow up with Dennis Hopper? No, like I never got around. I was I was curious because of how I mean, that's what's that's what's interesting about the second film is that you switch uh, Fred Ward out for uh, Dennis Hopper. You keep. I did see in the cast list that you keep um, Hippa. Oh God, I'm going to mispronounce her her last name. Uh, but but the the wonderful witch who shares the uh, the, the, office. the the office space with him. I guess she was the same actress 
who returned. And I think that was like the only person. But then it was Paul Schrader who directed that. Wow. What? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so you, you go from, I mean, you have Martin Campbell which is being also... the one who directed this. Yeah. And then, but you go from Martin, Martin Campbell, which first of all, you have Martin Campbell, who's just a couple years away from, from Goldeneye at this point. Um, and, but then you go to Paul Schrader. Quite the opposite for Duncraft for me. Sorry. <laughs> so let's go ahead. Let's uh, let's stray away from cast a deadly spell and let's look. Well, into, I have oh. I do have I do have one question about a film that rewatching it this time um, stuck out in my mind, and so I wanted to ask you guys uh, if you'd seen the film because even talking about it now and talking about tone and stuff, and it's another movie from 1991 that's more in the airplane. That's like the the tonal opposite of this, where it it takes that. Uh, being a gag of minute and pushing it, but, but still having the gumshoe and the police and, and crazy stuff going on in uh blood sucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh. No, I have not seen that one, but I have heard of that one. That is one that I have heard of. I, I, I have no clue of what you were speaking <laughs> of. I thought you were messing with me. And then uh-uh. you didn't no, know. no, no, that's no, a real no. thing. It's, it's it, uh, because it like, even the, uh, the, the plot is a uh, police detective teams up with his body buddy's daughter to investigate cult ritual mutilations. And it's mummies. Weird. Yeah. So technically then there are three movies in 1991 that have that weird revolving. That is bizarre. Hey, but, hey. but like I said, this, this one's more in like um, uh, the wacko and, and pandemonium uh, type, type vibe. Like if, if you thought that Fred Ward smoked a lot of cigarettes and cast a deadly spell, there is a scene and blood sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh that completely outdoes it. I mean, it doesn't fully work, and I think it's why uh, Castadelli Spell it is fun when it does work by by understanding that tone because this one tries to go for the same thing but is completely overboard. Well, I mean, with a name like blood sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh, you're not expecting fucking merchant ivory, you know. So, oh, well, I like mean, the, the, the special <laughs> effects in it. The spe- it's it's definitely a movie where the special effects and and gore that's in the 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 movie would be the reason why I would I would suggest like uh, checking it out. I can't. It was on Prime last year. I don't I don't think it is uh, anymore. I was trying to see who did the the effects work on it because it they're they're very memorable hmm. let me ask you guys a question would you live in this world because to me the cast of deadly spell put on it created a world i mean it did great with the world building so that being said uh-huh. is this a world you would live in i think the answer relies on how lazy you are because it seems like magic is a pretty easy like just very instant kind of fix again if i was in my 20s Probably not, but now that I'm in my 40s, oh, goodness gracious, if you can make that trip to the bathroom that much easier and quicker for me and magic can be involved, I might sell my soul to Satan. Yeah, I'm, I'm, go- I'm all in. I'm all in. Adrian? I, I think I'd give it... I think I'd give it a try. It'd be it'd be interesting. I mean, I'd be worried about gremlins a lot more. Don't, you know... Don't, let's put it this way. Krites are in Kansas in outer space. Gremlins are everywhere in this movie. So there, there's something you have to deal with. Uh, and the answer to the special effects for that other movie was Tom Savini. Oh, there it is. 
And speaking and, of gremlins, you know, we've had them since WWII, so. Uh, that, I think that guy was, was uh, low-key one of my favorite characters in the movie. Yeah. Was yeah. the landlord. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Completely, completely. And the condescending gargoyle as well. <laughs> <laughs> so from uh, an HBO original to one that definitely hit the theaters, and it's always good to be able to talk Wes Craven into the mouth of March Madness, but especially when we veer away from Freddy and we go into his original content, and you can't get more original than the people under the stairs. So Adrian... <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. It returns. It returns. Uh, Adrian, what was your initial interaction with this one? Background. Uh, tell us, uh, did you knock on the door of the people under the stairs? I, I, I want to say that it was home video. Um, I don't remember where. I know. We've, the, the funny thing is, I know we've talked about this movie at least once on the show before. And then at length in person when we showed it for, for Terror Tuesday a couple of years ago. So, like, it's. People Under the Stairs is one of those movies that that just keeps coming up, which I'm glad that it is because for, for years it felt like the Craven film that lots of people just kind of forgot about, didn't really talk about for who knows why. Uh, but I, I definitely remember renting it from the video store because of that cover art. You see that cover art and you're like, what is this? I, I want it. You've got the, the house. You've got the face. Yeah, I, I'm – I'm very curious and you get something that's not exactly what you think would be going on with that, but it's the film goes so many different places and you're, you're talking about tones and, and lots of these movies. And I think what's wonderful about the tone that he chooses in uh, people under the stairs is what is special about horror. And that if you get people to pay attention to your film because it's over the top, because of it's ridiculous, because it's campy, because it's exploitation, whatever that is, that when they're susceptible to those things, they're susceptible to understanding and seeing the message that that you have, which, of course, you know, it goes back to everybody talking about why Romero films work so well in their early going is because you show them something that they can understand or they can get into. And then when you have the messages come in, they're they're willing to to open up to that because they've already opened themselves up to the film. And I know there's lots of people who kind of sit on the fence for people under the stairs, but for the people who watch it and get it, I think it's because of those unexpected things he's doing with the movie that, that opens people up to what he's saying. And it's my rewatch of it. Cause I also caught it on home video as well. I wasn't lucky enough, although genius did have, and you'll have to go back <laughs> to our first round episode, just a interesting theatrical experience in, in 1991 between this and silence of the lambs, right? It was the year of just weird, awkward awakenings within one genius. <laughs> McGee. Did you, did you, did you go with your family genius? Oh yeah. I went with my family okay, all the so, time to go see horror movies. In fact, fuck, I still do. And so yeah, like... I know I was going to say, maybe that's a thing because if you put together some of those situations, even today that you're going with your family, you're having interesting experiences with them. Maybe, Maybe that's something that it's like, well, why don't we just go see a comedy or an action film instead? Because there's a there's a history there. Oh, yeah. Let's go see a Christmas movie. I heard Beth Sembers playing. 
So, <laughs> hey, you know what? Let's actually stay with that and Terror Tuesday because I also had the opportunity to see uh, Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Games. Happy birthday, Christmas! As a first time at Terror Tuesday. But it's a movie that also plays similar to People Under the Stairs based on the yeah. similarities between Tomas and Fool. And having watched them recently within the same vicinity, it just played so nicely. Um, but when was the last time that you actually uh, watched People Under the Stairs before this one? Uh, people understand it was it was Terror Tuesday, so it was okay. only like I want to say it wasn't last year. It was the year before that, we, right? Played, yeah, I want to say it was 2019, so <laughs> just under two okay. two years, I believe. And it like showing the power of that movie, or or just Wes Craven in general, was that the majority of the people who were there at that screening had never seen the film before, and there were so many discussions going on afterwards for people dissecting it and, and talking about how much they enjoyed it. And it's like, that that's what I like about, you know, Wes Craven or, or getting to show a film like that, that people have heard of. And it might be an, I've seen that for them, but when they actually get a chance to, to see it and get to engage with it. Well, let me ask you this. Was this before, did you see this before or after Pulp Fiction? I.E. What was your first oh. GIMP experience? <laughs> and Bing Rames. Uh, no, I, I, it was, I want to say that it was before. Okay. Oh God. Oh God. I didn't even think about that Ving Ring connection right there. You could make the kinkiest double feature between. <laughs> Ving Ring and the Gimp connection. Wow. Someday we'll find it. The Ving Ring's Gimp connection. Oh no. The paddles. The, <laughs> the Gimp. And, and me. me. Uh. Jesus. I apologize. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're going to have to zip that one shut, genius. As we always do here. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I think the nice surprise with this, and especially rewatching it, is how funny the movie really is. How the socially relevant messages are still, still fucking pressing it to this day. To this day. And it's also another collection of great character actors oh, yeah. of people to this day that I when we actually mention it, you could make a very interesting remake of the movie. With a lot of the same people, mm-hmm. even yes. reprising the roles, which leads me. Big um, Rings still do it, and you'd like to think that. Well, no, Wendy Roby's still with us, is she not? I believe so. Yeah, and we know Everett is McGill she... is with us, so mm-hmm. I yeah. and I think Fool oh, would be Sean, game. Sean Whalen's definitely signing up for it. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, Whalen's in there, and like Sean nothing. Whalen reprises his role as he's rolling into the house. <laughs> <laughs> I, he's he's been in five million things, but he will always be Roach. Neil Frogert hey, from you know, uh, from Lord of the Rings, or not, sorry, from from Lost from because Lost. of his his Hobbit look. Who Roach? Mm-hmm. Oh no, he's always gonna be Roach to me. You when he showed up in like Hatchet Three, like what's Roach? Well, and that's actually the kind of the awesomeness of the fact that he could exist within three people's references, and it's uh-huh. just as real. That's I'm I'm surprised that Genius didn't even go for for his his small guest stint on It's Always Sunny. He was on. Was he in McPoyle? Yeah. Which, oh, was he which, McPoyle? Which, he was in the courtroom scene with Pappy and 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 Gilmore Del Toro. That's right. <laughs> I'm lying, McPoyle. Bring me their eyes. He does look like a McPoyle. He could be a exactly. McPoyle. Um, DJ Qualls could be a McPoyle. Uh, fucking um, Steve Buscemi could be a McPoyle. Dude, they could have uh, the whole McPoyle family reunion. You know, just like, hey man, you got any milk? You know, just 
Yeah. No, but at the same time, people under the stairs is <laughs> fucking. It, it's caca. That is so good. Ever since that yeah. last reviewing, I've like go around the house. Caca. Yeah. Great. Great. That sad, sad, sad animal moment though. Yes and no. Yes and no. Genius had an. In- we had a discussion in the first round on that because. <laughs> We've recently watched a few films that have featured some animal violence, and we're always making sure to let people know beforehand because that uh-huh. is very triggering. But Genius had an, an interesting take on it. Go ahead. Go he's, ahead. Okay. He's a bad dog. He's not a good dog. He's a bad dog. But it was fucking hilarious when he slid. Sure. That cracked my shit up. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, we don't want him to, like, you know, be. He had to go. I'm sorry, but he was, he was not a good dog. let's 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 i i will always uh unless it's like a crazy like a feral dog i i always go for there are no bad dogs there's just dogs that are raised bad he was the bad owners he was fed human meat it doesn't that like affect people yeah that's what i'm saying what did you say he was fed human meat he didn't just wake up one morning and he's like you know what casually of my own accord of my own volition i'm going to start ripping out throats and i didn't even realize technically in the mouth of march madness here this year uh this are you we've got two meat-eating dogs yeah human meat-eating dogs and people under the stairs oh no it's kind of crazy kind of crazy well let's go ahead and decide which of these two films is going to be battling silence of the lambs in the round of the hateful eight so adrian let me ask you the people under the stairs or cast a deadly spell. Which of the two is closer to your heart? Um, I'm going to go with people under the stairs. Uh, I'm, I think that's one that's that's closer to the heart. It's it, it's it's Wes Craven, and like I said, it's the, the Wes Craven that more people are finally coming around to to see. And it's not like people are coming around to see The Hills Have Eyes too. Um, it's it's people under the stairs. Like you mentioned, it's got a great cast. It's got a lot going on. It's wild and all over the place. I think for for lots of people, there's a lot that you can you can take from it. As in, like if you're people who who like plenty of different things, you've got you know the the social commentary that's baked in there. Uh, you've got Bill Cobbs that's in there. That's always going to get you extra mm-hmm. points. Um, you've got the the campiness. You've got the exploitation elements. You've got uh, the roach aspect of it. You've got the home invasion. Um, that's technically flipped where the bad guys are already inside the house. Um, so you, you've got a lot that's going on and, and like, that's like, it just speaks to me. No, no offense to, to again, cast a deadly spell because there's lots that's, that's fun with it, but it's, it's Wes Craven, man. Right. It's Wes Craven, man. It's Wes Craven. That's a power phrase. Genius. I fucking love people under the stairs. Roach is one of those characters. Like again, like, well, it's Roach. I, <laughs> Thoroughly enjoy it. But if I have to be honest with myself, I got to go cast a deadly spell for the simple fact is I remember being excited because it was the HBO free weekend. I remember seeking it out. I remember getting in trouble for cutting the pictures out of the Fangoria of cast a deadly spell. And I was called like a devil worshiper by my middle school shop teacher that cemented that in my place for closer to the heart. I got to go cast a deadly spell. That's totally fair. And I'm going to just say my I have to bow to the power of HBO propaganda because 
Beyond that whole thing, the da 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 it casted a deadly spell on me. I that is pure nostalgia for me, and then revisiting it, even with the problematic stuff, mm-hmm. it just it was pure nostalgia in my veins. So I'm also going to uh, vote for cast a deadly spell. Now that being said, from the heart to the head, we're going to ask if you took one of these films away, which one would leave 1991 poorer? Who would like to go first? Adrian Genius? Uh, I, I can go first because um, I don't know which way this is going to go. And I was on the side of good for the first one. So I have to, to, to say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disparage early just in case my film doesn't get through. That technically this is two times now that, that in general it, it was a completely different combination. But that Greg has been swayed. By, by the power of HBO <laughs> for a movie that might have some problematic elements. If you go back to um, to his utterance of stay tuned and that stay tuned being played on HBO got a pass because of how often it played on HBO. I, I digress, though. I digress. I, I have a decision to make. Uh, it, this one's actually a lot tougher when you when you get down and you want to show your, your homework for it because – and this is another year where you have a where I'm on and there's a TV movie that's being brought up. And the fact that TV movies don't really get remembered a lot. You don't have a ton that really stand out. You need something that's either being adapted off of a Stephen King book or you need a situation where you had a highly touted original out there weird film like Cast a Deadly Spell to to stick in people's minds but at the same time you've got Wes Craven <laughs> and we're talking about 1991 so we have to look mm-hmm. at the other films that were coming out of it and, and stuff and I I think Wes Craven in the 90s we, we have to remember because you have this movie in and 91 I, I can't remember what comes out between this and Scream that he does but they looked at Scream as kind of being a, a return in, in a way for him to, to having, you know, this, this huge mega smash hit, which kind of feels like it's disparaging to people under the stairs in a way. And yet it's a film that I, I feel is important to his, his filmography and, and the way that he's making stuff. Um, so I, I have to go with that decision because I think at any point, especially if you're looking in the nineties and you're wanting to take a Wes Craven film out of the pantheon of films, I, I think that it's a lot um, it, it's a lot lesser for having that exclusion um, b- because especially when it comes into the to the 90s and it comes to horror and you're looking at mainstream, you know, it, there's certain there's it, like people forget about the films that are coming out at that time. And people under the stairs is one that's definitely getting that resurgence. And so I think by not having it there, you you make that that point in time that much weaker. Genius. Uh, so, if you take away people under the, st- if you, I'm sorry, if you take away, cast the deadly spell. Um, the thing about that one, it's so unique, it's so interesting. It's such an outliner, but yet, still nobody has seen it. You know, even if we mm-hmm. take it away, it's not going to hinder cinema because there's still no, a lot. Of, there's still not a lot of proper different. 
Detective 40 genre movies in Cthulhu. There's even not a lot of Cthulhu things. It wasn't until recently with like Richard Stanley and all stuff like that that the interest started coming back. So I don't, and I don't think that Cath the Deadly Spell was the big giant influence on that. That being said, um, Lesser Craven is some of the best Craven. And so if you take away like that and Shocker, you're missing some of the better stuff you're also missing something prominent that can still be played today and still have that same bite and same hit and i think that relevance and the fact that the problems are still going on hmm. makes it a bit more detrimental to leave it because no matter no matter what if you watch this let's say you watch both these movies 20 years down the line right you probably can't relate so much as a 40s detective in a world of magic, right? <laughs> but you could probably relate to even the problems that are going on. Again, I don't live in a world of magic and, and monsters as much as I would love to. But I do live in a world where the greedy are corrupt and will shit on everybody else in the neighborhood to profit themselves. And so for that, I'm going to say my vote is people under the stairs. Join it comes your... down to you, Greg. Oh, it comes down to you. It's a very easy vote here, literally. If you take away Cast a Deadly Spell, in the same year, 1991, we have a film that Cast a Deadly Spell beat, The Resurrected. Like you said, it's just one of those things. You still have representation of a detective Lovecraft star. I mean, that's so niche. But you have multiple of those in 91. What you don't have is another Wes Craven original like People Under the Stairs. It's hard to find a movie like that nowadays, much less in 1991. So you take that away from me. Oh, my goodness. I'm freaking out. I am freaking out. So, of course, it's going to get my vote. And by a count of four to two, making its way into the round of the Hateful Eight is People Under the Stairs. <laughs> which means in the round of the Hateful Eight, we have Silence of the Lambs and People Under the Stairs. Fuck. That's, you know what? I think that may have been in my bracket, actually. Oh. So I. Because you know those two movies are somebody's absolute favorite. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Now, we couldn't have gotten here without the help of you, Adrian. And, man, seriously, beyond the podcast and doing all this kind of stuff, man, it's beyond nice to see you, Aww. to hear from you. And to, of course, have you as part of the tradition of this, man. And regardless of whether they are good movies or bad, <laughs> this is something that is always good to look forward to and to just keep striving, man. So, sincerely. I, I have a very quick uh, side question that I wanted to ask you guys since it's been stuck in my head while we've been thinking about Cast a Deadly Spell. I, I, I think I know what the answer is, but we've been talking about representation. And, of course, just a, a couple years within the vicinity of Cast a Deadly Spell – you have a certain film called Lord of Illusions. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which which one do you guys uh, take? I, I know they're technically tonally different films, but which which one do you prefer out of those two? Well, unfortunately, with uh, Lord of Illusions, it's an oh no, oh really? Yeah, dude, it's oh. dope, dude. It's got Bacula. I know. Um, it's got shirtless Bacula. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Sexula. No, um, <laughs> no, it's a weird detective versus magic yep. story. I. Ooh, that's a hard one, Adrian, because I really enjoyed Lord of Illusions, but I think I have more fun with Cast the Deadly Spell. And a movie that I can have more fun with is going to beat out something that, that's going to like potentially scar me. I'll go for it. I, I was just curious because, they, I mean, as much as there's different, there are similarities in there, even though Lord of Illusions is more 
you know, more modern than, um, you know, cast a deadly spell. You still have definitely those worlds are, are, are crossing over and, and, and their similarities and, and, and everything. Well, it's funny because I always put together a trailer reel before I watch a movie. And of course that was in the trailer reel. So nice. I know there is a scream factory Blu-ray out there that they put out, which I'm going to probably end up picking up regardless. <laughs> yeah. But no, sincerely, man. And gang, if you all like what you hear with Adrian and how can you not, uh, make sure you're checking out Horrorversary. It is a pleasure to talk with you, my friend. Mm-hmm. And I just continued success, man. Love you and the family. Uh, we'll talk off mic, of course. But uh, wait here uh, just for a few minutes here, gang, because when we come back, Ken Sledgehammer uh, <laughs> Horror will be joining us to talk both people into the stairs and Sons of the Lambs. Would you fool me? I'd fool me. We are back, and as we go from the round of the Scream 16 into the round of the Hateful Eight, let us again thank Adrian from Horrorversary. Mm-hmm. And of course, let us say goodbye, farewell, and adieu to both Critters 3 and Cast a Deadly Spell. Oh, man. Any other day, we could be talking right? Critters 3 and Cast a Deadly Spell. <laughs> but unfortunately, they both left in the last round. Now, we have two films left in the year of 1991. Only one will make it to the round of the Frightful Four. It's a lot of uh, pressure they're, on they're us. They're chomping tooth and nail and, and tongue, and they're, they're beating each other pretty good. Well, you know what? Thankfully, Genius, it doesn't fall on all of our shoulders here. Right. As you all know, we like to bring in some of our favorite people in horror. Now, our next guest, you heard him as a guest lecturer with our Splatter University episode, he has been interviewing some of horror's, you know, best and brightest. Please welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead from Sledgehammer Horror, Ken Sledge. Uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. This is so awesome. I've been so excited for this since we talked about it. Two great movies that are going to battle it out here. Well, you know what? You were kind enough back in the day to invite us on Sledgehammer Horror really when you were getting started. And first and foremost, congratulations on the show's success and the growth and you have had some of my favorite people in horror on. Uh, tell us how the journey's been since you last talked with us. Oh, man. It's just like you, sometimes you just like get super lucky. And I feel like that's what it is. Um, I've been so lucky that uh, I've I hate to say it like this. because I sound like an asshole, man. But COVID really helped me out. And trust me, I would take that away in a heartbeat if I could. For those of you that don't know me or the channel, Uh, My wife is a respiratory therapist. It's something I'm very proud of. She does one of the segments on Sledgehammer Horror with me called Didn't See That Coming. And so if I could take away the pain and suffering that people have had from COVID, I would do it in a heartbeat. But um, I've been so lucky to have some people that are big influences on me. Uh, James and Chelsea from Dead Meat, I just had them on recently, which was super amazing to be able to talk to them. And Lou Taylor Pucci is somebody that's always been super influential in my life and being able to sit down and talk to him. And by the time this airs, she would have already been on. But this Friday, uh, two days from now, Lar Park Lincoln, 
Tina from Friday the 13th Holy Part 7 shit. is coming on. And, you know, I'm very, very excited to have her. Uh, upcoming, I have Rochelle Davis, who played Sarah in The Crow. Um, she'll be coming on and h- hanging out with me for a little bit. So, you know, very excited. And it, it's one of those things where I just feel super blessed Um Every day, it's just like, it's weird, you know, being able to talk to these people and people that have inspired me my whole life. Um, you know, like Sarah in The Crow, Rochelle, when she's, slow down, you dickhead. You know, that's something that, you know, I thought that was the greatest thing ever when I was a kid. And, you know, it can't rain all the time. That scene wouldn't have been possible without her. And that's something that I've, I've legit put that into my own personal life. And it's something I teach my kids, you know, no matter how bad things get, it can't rain all the time. So that's how influential that movie is on me as not only a person, but as a father. So to be able to sit down and talk to her is something that I'm very, very much looking forward to. And at this point, you've had several Jasons on your show. I mean, you are reaching out to some of horror royalty. And from the get go, one of the things that I've truly enjoyed with your approach is, again, how genuine you are and just how much you enjoy doing this. And it, it shows and you can hear it, you can see it, you can smell it on the better, you know, episodes. <laughs> so it is greatly appreciated. As as a fan of, you know, YouTube content, which, by the way, where can our listeners find uh, Sledgehammer Horror? Uh, yeah, YouTube.com slash Sledgehammer Horror. Um, Instagram at Sledgehammer Horror. Facebook at Sledgehammer Horror. And then Twitter at Sledgehammer Horror, H-O-R. Not the full horror um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, like Ari Lehman, the first Jason to pop out of the lake, like that was super intense for me. Um, you know, I, I, again, I just feel blessed, man. Like there's these people that the horror is such a loving community and these people really, once you start talking to them and you shoot your ideas at them, they're usually pretty good about responding. I have somebody, uh, coming up soon that, um, has agreed to do the show. We haven't set a date yet, so I don't really want to get you know, those details out too much, but I will say that, uh, this female influenced me at a young age to stay away from camp. So, um, uh, we'll put it that way. Is she a possible Uh, mangled dick expert? (laughs) She, uh, she has a very great smile when she wants to, (laughs) but I would never let her, I would never let her curl my hair. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, or cook corn. So, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I'm never going to cook any uh, large pots of corn anywhere near her either. So, um, yeah. So now, now we all know. Uh, Felissa has agreed to come on the show. Uh, we are in the process of setting a date right now due to some scheduling that she's doing. But um, she did reach out to me. I did an episode with Dave Sheridan, who played Officer Doofy in Scary Movie. Yep. And um, her, they're they're very good friends and. Um, Dave is one of the kindest, most genuinely nice guys I've ever met. Um, he'll, you know, still text me to this day, like, Hey, how you doing? If you ever need me for anything else on the show, I'll be happy to help. Uh, such a great guy. I'll support him till the end of the world. And, um, you know, he really, he hooked me up with Felissa and, uh, we're going to be doing an episode together on her first horror movie. So, uh, that's one that I'm genuinely very, very excited about because sleepaway camp, I've always said as a kid, the two twist endings that got me the most were Sleepaway Camp and The Empire Strikes Back. When I found out that Vader was Luke's father, I wanted to shit myself. I was like, there's no way. I felt like Luke. I was like, that's not possible. (laughs) So those two really, really got me. So to have her would be like having 
you know, Harrison Ford. <laughs> like, so Absolutely. that's that's been pretty exciting for me. I'm not going to lie. Based on all the interviews I've seen of both, I think Felissa would be a better interviewee. Mm-hmm. Not going to lie. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, Harrison, man, I loved you in Indiana Jones. And he'd be like, I know. Get off my plane. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> Don't Princess Leia me. Yeah, he's kind of a little bit more of a curmudgeon as he gets older. Tankerous Jones. However, however, though, has still been rocking that earring for I don't know how long and has been in a solid relationship <laughs> with Callista Flockhart, so I can't give the man a lot of hate. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a genius, man. I, I, he's another one that the thing I've always said about Harrison Ford is there are certain people that you look at and you put an, as a certain role. Uh, like John Heater will always be Napoleon Dynamite to me. Um, McLovin will always be McLovin to me. But Harrison Ford, when I look at him, I not only see Han Solo, but I really see Dr. Jones, too. So -hmm. it's one of those things where he, you know, there are certain actors that no matter how absolutely phenomenal they are, Johnny Depp will always be Edward Scissorhands to me, no matter how great he is. Because Johnny Depp, I think, is one of the best character actors of all time. But Harrison Ford and Robin Williams are the two for me that don't stick out for just a single role. They, They are ones that, to me have multiple roles that influence my life and the way I act as a human being today. So those two, I think are by all time, I think are the best actors. My favorite's Bill Murray, but that's a story for another day. (laughs) Well, and it's funny, technically we can talk Bill Murray and we have talked Bill Murray in the mouth of March Madness Mm -hmm. actually with Zombieland, but it's very rare Mm -hmm. that Harrison Ford or a uh, Robin Williams show up in our show, at least on Nightmare Junkhead. Right. So it is always good to be able to talk and go into their worlds. But we're here to talk two films from 1991 that have kind of bitten and gnawed their way into the round of The Hateful Eight. Uh, We have Silence of the Lambs going up against People Under the Stairs. Now, what I'm curious here, Ken, of course, number one, which one should we talk first? Um... I would vote for let's talk about silence first. Would you talk about silence with me? Let's talk about silence with me. <laughs> so oh, I le- cut myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me throw it out to you. What was your interaction <laughs> with this movie? Because you're you're kind of in our age range here. So by any chance, did you see it in the theater, or do you remember your initial interaction with it? I did not see it in the theater. And actually, I did not see it until a little bit later. I was probably about 9 or 10 the first time I had seen it. And I always remember as a kid, I was I was not a huge Silence of the Lambs fan. Um, you know, I grew up with, you know, uh, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. Halloween, House. These movies that were very over-the-top and gory and a lot of deaths. There wasn't a lot of psychological uh, aspects to those that I grew up with. So to me, this was kind of a slow, boring movie. And uh, so as a kid, didn't enjoy it as much. Um, as an adult, I, I respect the performances in it. Um, I don't like a lot of the, I don't like Jodie Foster's accent. I don't know what it is about it. I, I'm just not a fan. And um, look, I don't want to say this with sounding so weird, but would The Sounds of the Lambs be considered a horror movie if it was released today? There'd be the debate about it, but again, I'm going to stand firm by saying it is completely a horror movie. It's a cannibal serial killer versus another cannibal serial killer. And so mm-hmm. by that definition alone, it's horror. I mean, it's gruesome and gory. And yeah, I used to, we, Oh, definitely if it was released today, you would still get the debate that it's getting today. 
if it right. was put out today, it would probably be put out by eight twenty four. Yeah, eight twenty for sure, for sure. And I'm with you. I think the Silence of the Lambs is absolutely a horror movie. Um, even though you don't see a lot of death, you don't see you know up until that ending, which is something we'll talk about once we dig a little deeper into this movie on how frustrated I get with the end of this film. Um, you don't see very much death in this movie, but it's always talked about. And mm-hmm. um, I love Buffalo Bill's performance in this movie, which is funny because um, I don't know if you guys remember, but FX had a show for a little bit called The Bridge. Did you guys check that out at all? That was about the border between um, Mexico, and, Mexico US. and U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the guy that played Buffalo Bill, his name escapes me right now. Ted Levine. But he played. Yeah, he played the lead sheriff in that show. So to like watch him in that and then go back and rewatch him as, you know, would you fuck me? That's hard fuck. That is hard fuck me. (laughs) It's so weird. That is exactly the same reason why I can't watch Monk. Like, because Ted Levine is the sergeant in Monk, and I'm just picturing Tony Shalhoub. Uh, the suspect was a great big fat person. Oh yeah, she's a great big fat person. Like I can't, I can't like unsee Ted Levine in anything. Even if he's in a fucking children's movie, he could be in like fucking um, uh, the Wizards of Waverly Place, the movie, and I'll be like, "Whoa, watch out, Selena Gomez! He's gonna skin you!" You know. So it's <laughs> it's like I you no know, yeah no he is like we were talking about character actors. He is one of those guys that. No matter what character he's playing, he's going to be Buffalo Bill. It's the voice alone. Uh, hey, hey, uh, uh, it takes you right back. It puts you know, illusion it takes you right the back to that moment. It's safe to say this movie has ruined probably a certain character actors for a lot of people. It has ruined. Or enhanced. Enhanced, uh, you know, um, Lazarus Q. There are a number of things associated with this movie. So that being said, Ken, you kind of walk us through your journey because it sounds like a little trepidatious. Let's talk about Jodie Foster and her accent. The that how how did the lambs hurt you, Ken? How did the lambs hurt you? Now I am I'm, I, I don't know what it is. Like I just feel like it's such a forced thing. I, maybe it's because I'm older and I've seen her in so many other things. And like I said, if if I had watched this movie more as a child, I think I would probably feel differently about it. But that's not to say I don't like this movie. I don't want it to come across like that. I'm one of those people. You guys know me. Mm-hmm. I will critique things, but I will never say this sucks or this is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's just not who I am. It's not my character. But um, in this movie, one of the big things for me is how scary it really is when you're trying to get to that climax. And one of the things that makes me so irritated about this movie is when we're talking about Buffalo Bill, he's got the night vision goggles on and he's following Jodie Foster. And this guy's a genius. Like, I mean, you can't deny it. He's a true genius. He's very intelligent. He's escaped the cops and the FBI for this long, but he cocks his gun so slow and pulls that hammer back. Like he's slamming it on the ground. So she would know you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't see how you, oh, man, that just really bothers me so bad that and, to end him like that. I'd like to think it was for the pizzazz, a little bit more of the showmanship, you know, because You're he... put on the show, put on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree, actually, that, in fact, the entirety of that ending, and I actually wa- uh, watched a video essay about Silence of the Lambs and the male gaze, but specifically... Mm-hmm. There are multiple shots in the movie where you get a forward camera view looking at Clarice, and it's always from 
like some sort of male authority figure. And I realized that then going back and rewatching, I'm like, oh yeah, it's like four or five times throughout the film, culminating in that last scene when you get him with that gear on. And mm-hmm. it's just, I don't know if it's finally her unleashing on the male gaze finally at that point, but yeah, it's right. just that buildup is kind of incredible. No, it's one of those that's, I, Genius and I have been talking about it the entirety of the month. We both saw it in the theater at young, impressionable ages. <laughs> Very sure. young, impressionable ages. And it definitely threw us off a little bit, but I think the reason why I went in the theater is this is the movie, especially if you um, compare it to the movie we'll talk about eventually, is a movie you can still show the normies. Um, how many yeah. people in your family can have actually seen you know, Silence of the Lambs? Oh, it's everybody. Um, my mom, God rest her soul, She this was one of her favorite horror movies. Um, another movie that uh, very much influenced me because of my mom was this one. Um, when I think of my mom and I think of horror movies, she didn't like a lot. But the three ones that I remember my mom watching the most were this one, uh, Flowers in the Attic. And you guys, anybody can argue with me that's not a horror, but I that's 100% a yeah. horror movie. Yeah, it is. And the original Amityville horror are the three horror movies that my mom enjoyed the most. And so I'll always have a soft spot for those three movies because of my mom. And uh, even though this was probably at a young age, this was my least favorite of the three because out of those three, this has the least amount of action and the least amount of scares. You know, because the little kid and flowers in the attic, dude, I'll send you guys a picture of me as a kid. It looked just like me, man. I had the blonde curly hair like <laughs> like. So when that kid died in the movie, I was like, oh, shit, like they killed Kenny. Those bastards. <laughs> That's where it started for me, man. So, um, yeah, flowers in the attic was one. But this one to me was just a little bit slower as a kid. You know, you go into this, you know, four five, six, like I said, compared to some of the other movies that we had watched at the time. Mm-hmm. It just, it's not an action packed movie. And a lot of this goes over your head at, you know, four, five, and six years old. So that's why, to me, I think this one didn't make the impact the other ones did. Not only does it go over your head, but it leaves you with a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Or your, yeah. or your head literally in a jar, potentially. Right, right. No, completely. <laughs> so, and again, it is definitely an adult oriented movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I yeah. kind of really liked in 1991. There were quite a few films like that that y- a lot of your teeny boppers aren't going to enjoy. Yeah, and it also opened right. the floodgates to some of those like psychological horror movies, uh, like mm-hmm. uh, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle and Single White Female and Misery and all that kind of stuff. It's like Signs of the Lambs, like, oh, we can be like classy and have horror without monsters and mayhem yeah as as much as i love monsters and mayhem sometimes the scariest shit is the stuff that can really happen it's that yes. like real serial killer shit and the the fact mm-hmm. that there might be buffalo bill there might be hannibal lecter and every day on the news you hear about more a string of murders and blah 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 <laughs> blah you know i mean right now honestly both Hannibal Lecter and uh, Buffalo Bill, if they were crimes were in the paper, it would start with a Florida man has, you know. So like, <laughs> it <laughs> it totally can still work, but and it's still terrifying. Hannibal Lecter, though, that guy and a- Anthony um, Hopkins, 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 Perkins, Hopkins, Hopkins. Hopkins. yeah, I'm psycho. Um, Anthony Hopkins played him perfectly. He's a genius. Um, 
and I, I'll always remember when, when someone talks about the silence of the lambs, the thing that I will always remember, cause I didn't get it as a kid. Uh, when he is in the ambulance and he takes the face off, I was like, is there two of him? What? You know, I didn't understand that. That, he, that was so fucking cool, man. Sorry for the F word, but that was so awesome, man. When he took the face off when he's in the ambulance, like watching it back now, even the surprise on their face. Oh, dude, it's such a great scene. Such a great scene. It's, oh my God, I'm getting emotional thinking about it because it's so well done. Because um, you're wondering like how this is, this is Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. You know, this guy is so smart and he's so ingenious and he, killed himself on top of the elevator no way there's no way that happened did he fell no there's no that didn't happen come on now did the elevator go up too high and crush him squish him but yeah then you see him just sit up in that ambulance and take the face off dude so great easily my favorite scene of the movie such a great moment yeah Hannibal Lecter ain't gonna go out like no punk right Right. He ain't going out on an elevator. Right. Well, and if you need this any cool. sequence of scenes that show that this is a horror film, the entirety of his breakout mm-hmm. to that face reveal. That oh, is- when they show, when they pull back and he's like crucified on the, uh, yes. with his chest cavity opened oh. up and shit. I was like, God damn, that's horrific. He looks like <laughs> a violent dark angel renaissance painting. Like how in like... Yeah. But with guts and gore instead of like seraphim and cherubs. So yeah, no, I love it. And Kenny, don't yeah. worry about cussing. You've been on this fucking show before. So <laughs> I know, but I just I feel so rude when I do it on other people's shows, man. Like, so I, I I just feel bad when I do it. It's all good. I, I I try not to work glue just to to balance everything. And I can't help it. Yeah, that's well things that we can help are our feelings of the silence of the lambs so final thoughts ken before we transition into another adult themed film i i love the Silence of the lambs i think that like you guys said it really uh it started the horror thriller genre um the psychological horror thriller um which i feel is lazy sometimes uh people that don't like horror movies are just like that's a thriller so i like it but that's something that um, this movie really is your mix of horror thriller. And it's even got that true crime feeling to it as well. So that's another really good aspect of this movie. And before we get into the next movie, something I want to say about these two movies together, um, the people under the stairs is getting remade by Jordan Peele and Clarice is getting its own TV show. So we're talking about which one of these movies is more impactful to this day. And that's such a hard question, but I want to go through a list real quick and please don't misconstrue this as me um, smashing or knocking these movies. Cause I'm not, but here are some of the other movies that came out in 91 in the horror genre. Child's play three, Freddy's dead. Sometimes they come back the pit and the pendulum remake, the howling six puppet master three, the omen four silent night, deadly night five and the Cape fear remake. Now those movies are all like, sometimes they come back as my favorite Stephen King adaptation. Child's Play 3 is my favorite Child's Play in the bunch. But the difference between those and the people under the stairs and Sounds of the Lambs is silence and people under the stairs talk about real shit that's still going on mm-hmm. today with, um, you know, the people under the stairs with, a, you know, the racism that goes along with that movie and the Silence of the Lambs, you know, with the transgender aspect of it. These are still things that we're talking about today that have a big impact on society and I really think these two movies in that aspect were ahead of their time. These aren't just two slashers that were just out to have fun. They do have an underlying meaning to them. 
but they don't shove it in your face. They're a horror movie first, but they have that important message about, you know, transgender that they don't make it disrespectful and disgusting and the underlying issues of racism and the people under the stairs. And I couldn't be more excited for the Jordan Peele remake of the people under the stairs. Yeah, I think it, it definitely has legs and it's still very relevant. Sadly yeah. relevant, as it turns out. No, completely Bingo. understood. Yeah, we'll we'll get to... Yeah, in fact, it's kind of funny. You almost took one of my arguments there, Ken, so I'm glad you zipped up a little on that. But no, uh, let's go <laughs> ahead and then talk uh, People Under the Stairs by Wes Craven. Um, was this one that you were familiar with? Uh, what was your background with this particular film? I did see this one in the cinema. I oh. was very young. Um, my uncle was always a big Wes Craven fan. And um, I seen this and I seen Freddy's Dead in the theater. My uncle took me to see that one because it was in 3D. And that was the first 3D horror movie I ever seen in the theater as well. But um, the people under the stairs, I think for me, the, the funny thing about this is Brandon, uh, the, the young boy fool. Uh, to me, he was always the pitcher from the Sandlot. You know, like that's that's who he was to me. And he plays this role so good. And yeah. Sean Whalen is Roach. Um, this is one of those movies that sure there, there's the blood and the guts in this movie. Like when he brings the torso up from down in the pit, you know, or when they're doing the skinning alive and eating. And but man, to me, the thing about this movie that is so powerful is just how scary those parents are. Yes. Those parents like, are nuts. Fucking mom Dude, and daddy, man. mother and father. Yep. Yeah, no, they're... Yeah. Like, one scene with them, especially when the dad's running through the house with the shotgun and he's got, like, the bondage suit on, like, and he walks up and the daughter is chained up in the attic and he, like, starts grabbing himself and it's almost like a rapey type scene. Mm, yeah. And then the mom's like, Daddy, get down here right now! And he's just like, Aw. Like, that scene is so scary to me, man. Like, rewatching it now, like, the anxiety I felt as a kid totally crept back up on me. Cause you know, even as a kid, you know, something really bad's about to happen at that scene. And something we talked about before gentlemen, um, the dad was also the werewolf in silver yeah. bullet. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's, that dude has always scared the hell out of me. Cause he's always mid transformation. That's fucking why. And of course you're scared yeah. at that whole, like kind of weird rapey crotch grabbing thing. Cause even if it was, even if you didn't have a shotgun, some guy looking at me in a gimp mask going, and grabbing his crotch. I'm deaf. My heart rate is definitely going to be a little bit higher. So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, man. that's, is that bad? That's a normal Saturday night for me. I With mean, the gimp mask. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sands the well, shotgun. There's the other scene and it's the implied violence where he's getting ready to, and he's uh, grabbing the belt. And there's that whole thing of like, you and know, feeding that thing in the walls again. Yeah. Bad girls go to hell. All of the the implications, as it turns out, are terrifying. Mm -hmm. And it yes. just. But what's crazy, though, with the movie and even upon rewatch is, and I'll stand by this, how funny it is. It's hilarious. And even though I despise both of them, the physical acting from Everett McGill in this movie is next level. And the mom, caca! <laughs> yeah. It's, even when he's looking, one thing that's always, even as a kid, it made me laugh. When he shoots out the mirror and he's yelling at the dog, he's like, get up! And his whole body is shaking as he's screaming into this abyss. Like... <laughs> Everything it's, about him. It's terrifying. It's funny. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it made me feel co not complicated because I wanted him to get his comeuppance. And then when the comeuppance happens, that's mm -hmm. even better. Just that whole, 
I've ca- I don't know how many times I've counted the gold and just every little thing about him, man. It's just creepy, crawly. It's disturbingly scary. Not only the fact that you have <laughs> these like insane people chasing you, but the fact is like you're not even safe from walking around because a hand might come out of the wall or like somebody right. might because somebody grabbing you from the bottom of the stairs is a horror staple for a reason. Because it's fucking scary. I don't trust those stairs with the no backing on them. And I, and I can't. And it's just dark over there. Because I know a deadite's going to grab me. Or Roach yep. is going to grab me. Or something ill is going to happen. And then eat you? God damn. This <laughs> would make a good pairing with Lola from... Um, the loved ones. The loved ones. Well, technically, yes. that's what I love about both of these films is they're both featuring cannibals. Mm-hmm. Like this would mm-hmm. make a great double feature in 1991, of which you probably could have caught at a drive-in. Where you a drive-in. People under the yeah. stairs opening, and then Silence of the Lambs closing. Or would you open with Silence and close with people? You'd open with you'd open with Silence because that's when the normies come. <laughs> come, come for the Silence, stay for the people, and then you get them with the people. So like, well, and that's just it. I said with with Silence, you can show it to the normies. People under the stairs. I know that some horror fans that do not like this movie, and that's yeah. what I think I love about it is the fact that it is that off kilter craven. And the other thing that I love about these two films and the, con- the weird connection, both of the directors made some very skeevy 70s films. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because Jonathan Demi had Caged Heat, mm-hmm. which I did watch for the first time last year. And yes, it is a women in prison movie, but it's a very watchable women is in prison cl- movie. Is it a classy women in a classy prison? No, not at all. Okay. But Jonathan Demi definitely adds something to it where you realize there's a talent there and then of course with Craven, Craven Last House and his pornographic material that he did indeed shoot so that's what I love with these and that the fact that here in the 90s they're both still creating genre fare some being a little bit more awarded than others but still stuff that we are talking about to this day and that's mm-hmm. the beauty I think of these the longevity of both of these still movies still lauded still praised and still <laughs> impactful still resonating with audiences to this day that are even seeing it for the first time cuz I'm sure now people because of Clarice they're going to backwards engineer and check out Sounds of the Lambs mm-hmm. I'm sure yes. with the announcement of Jordan Peele's remake they're going to go back and check out people under the stairs, you know, which is great because I'm, I'm sure more people now are going to check out people under the stairs than when it originally showed. Yeah. So, and then again, like the fact that it's dealing with the uh, systematic racism and distribution of wealth. Oh, yeah. It is dealing with incestuous themes. It's dealing with violence. It's dealing with gentrification. It's dealing mm-hmm. with all these topics and subjects that we're not only still dealing with, but even fighting a bigger battle because now we yes. see how evil and deep this goes. So the well, fact that you have this social media 30 years. That. Yeah. And, and 30 years ago they were talking about it. And Wes Craven's yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to take all these themes of horror living in the 90s and distill it into one house. And it fucking works still to this day. Horror themes of the 90s are still horror themes of the, of the 20s. Yes. Shit, that shit happened in the 68 Romero Night of the Living Dead. Horror has always had a way yeah. of having social commentary to it without shoving it in your face. Right. 
And even when it does shove in your face, it's usually at the end of a pickaxe or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's I think why someone like Craven just is one of the masters mm-hmm. because I think there are a lot of people that'll watch this movie and they won't see one ounce of any of that. And right. they're not wrong because you can watch this as a purely crazy, over the top, entertaining horror film. Yeah. However, you know, there are elements of it that, yes, you could probably write a dissertation about wealth inequality with a movie like this. And that's what Craven always did. He appealed to so many different people in such a, a cool way. And the fact yeah. that you could probably film this as a weird kids in peril treasure hunt double feature with the Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm still going with, um, with Deadly Games myself. Yes. <laughs> I got to go, man. One thing, I, while we're, before I lose my train of thought, the boy with the long hair in the cellar always terrified me, man. He looked like Count um, Count Radu. Oh, from subspecies? From subspecies. He looked like the subspecies vampire. <laughs> they all that, actually... That kid always scared me, man. <laughs> it was the 80s metal hair, or the, you know, transitioning. Yes. So thank God they didn't have any, like, Aquanet to really puff it cellar up there. Tufts? Yeah, cellar tufts? Yes. They even tufts. got him on the back of the Blu-ray, and it's the first thing I've seen ha! when I got the Blu-ray. Ken, by the there way, here's, he your, is. here's your PTSD there, right. my friend. Yeah, just sitting right here because instantly stream and download TV, computer, tablet, smartphone, and you just see him. And nightmares. As he goes. <laughs> so it's funny because when I, when I do a movie, I'm still with it by the physical copy. I have the sounds of the lambs here. I have the people under the stairs. Uh, I think that, like we were talking about before, these two movies were way ahead of their time, but still very very entertaining and watchable in 91. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't need a Twitter hashtag to know that everybody was important then. Yeah. You know, yeah. it wasn't something you said to be cool. Um, and you didn't have social media letting you know how bad things were all over the place. And these guys were still on top of it. So mm-hmm. horror has a way of opening your eyes to things that sometimes you don't really want to look at. <laughs> there it is. Horror finds a way. Right. Well, hell, the world is scary enough, and who knows more about scary than, like, horror fans? Absolutely. That's why we're best equipped to deal with it. Yes, we are. (laughs) Now, as much as we love both of these films, only one can represent the year of 1991 in The Frightful Four. And here in the round of The Hateful Eight, we do have two bits of criteria that we're going to look at when we show our work. And the first one is very abstract, and it's... Close. Oh, wrong one. Not that. We're not there. (laughs) We're, We're beyond that, my friend. Relax your vocal cords. No, basically, I threw it out to to everyone here to create kind of a definition or your own aesthetic of what horror was about in 1991, and then based on that definition or aesthetic, which of the two films then represents it more. So I'm going to throw it out here. Ken, would you like to go ahead and lead us off? Yeah. Um, When I got my list of the movies from 1991, the thing that I noticed the most was there were more slashers in 1991 than anything. Um, Like I said, you had your silent night, deadly night five, (laughs) Freddy's dead child's play three. You had these movies that were very slasher esque, but I feel like at this point with the Cape fear remake, the pit and the pendulum silence of the lambs, you really started the psychological horror in 1991. So we talked about which one is more important in 1991 And even though Silence of the Lambs and Cape Fear were really coming out and doing the psychological horror thing, I got to go with the people under the stairs. And the reason why I'm going with them being more important at that time was you still had that almost slasher-esque aspect to this movie 
Uh, it wasn't an up-in-your-face slasher like a Michael Myers or a Fred Krueger, but the dad, who was just known as dad and brother throughout the movie, you know, he's he even puts on the mask, so to speak. He has his own, when he puts on the suit, and he has the shotgun, and even when he's eating at the beginning and he's spitting out the, the shells, you know, the mm-hmm. slugs, um, he is your stereotypical scary slasher guy. He's big. He's absolutely intimidating. You watch him, um, Leroy. You watch him cutting into Leroy and killing and eating Leroy. So when it comes to 1991, where I feel like slashers were still pretty dominant in cinema, I got to say People Under the Stairs for that reason was the more important in 1991 because it did have – it's Wes Craven, so you knew there was a slasher aspect to it. But to me, out of all the genre types this is, slasher would be the bottom of the list, but it's still on there. You don't get as much slasher. You you get it implied in silence more than you see it. But I feel like you see the slasher stuff in people more than you do silence. And that, my friends, is showing your work. Excellent work for first time here on Into the Mouth of March. Like a pro, my friend. Like a pro. (laughs) Genius. So for with coming up with the aesthetics of the 90s, I think Ken said something. You still have a lot of slashers and everything. But I also think... That's the tail end of the 80s still seeping in. I think with when it comes to the 90s, especially from what we've seen, we've almost gone starting a complete opposite. Because the 80s were big and loud and bombastic and otherworldly and creatures that couldn't die and like aliens coming out of nowhere. And we still get that in the 90s. But starting with Silence of the Lambs, starting with Cape Fear, starting with all these things, you see the shift of going from the phantasmic and the otherworldly to the more grounded in realism, the more scary, the more... Because after that, you get the birth of the procedurals. You get this, you get that, you get all these cop shows, you get all these different things that are dealing with non-supernatural slashers. And yeah, the Silence of the Lambs, the people on the stairs had non-supernatural slashers as well, but they didn't turn people into cannibals. <laughs> right. So, like, so for what the aesthetics of the 90s is, I'm thinking dark and realistic. And with that, I got to go with Silence of the Lambs for creating the, the outlook of what it is. Your work has I been I like shown. your reasoning, but I hate your choice. <laughs> well, <laughs> and it's funny then because... The first thing, Ken, when you started listing all those sequels, my whole thing is there are at least at least 13 sequels in the year of 1991, which shows that there are 13 horror franchises that are trying to expand their fright well into the 1990s. So I had to go for me that my aesthetic is sequelitis. It's just it's we're in the year of the sequels. And don't get me wrong. I would love to see the further adventures of Fool. You know, I we've talked about I think throughout. But technically, technically that is Silence true. of the Lambs is a sequel because a few yeah. years before Michael Mann had Manhunter because and Manhunter. it doesn't necessarily follow into it, but it does follow it in the sequence of the books. This is also technically part of a franchise as we have Red Dragon, we've Red got Dragon. Hannibal Rising and all of those and we didn't get to go beyond the first people which is a bummer because like I said I'd gladly continue that exploration but more people under the stairs <laughs> yeah and I would just well, we're scale it down to a person under the stair at this point right. but based on that and the idea that that silence is a sequel it has launched a franchise and if I'm saying sequelitis with my aesthetic my vote does go to silence of the lambs now that being said though 
Here, we are talking about a movie now where we've been giving a lot of love to both of these films 30 years from their release date. So my question now is which one are we still talking about 30 years later when we're in the retirement home talking about the good old days, whether we're potting from our beds, what have you, but which of the two are we talking 30 years later? Ken, let me start with you. I got to go people, man. Look, now one thing where I will disagree with you, I am beyond excited they did not continue this franchise. I'm glad it died with mom and dad because I don't think you could get another villain uh, couple like that. There are certain films that I wish would be standalone. The Ring being a big one I talk about a lot. I wish that would have stayed as a standalone film. And I'm glad that I'm not including the people under the stairs in that subject because I feel this is a great movie where the villains are dead. They are not, like you said, there's no supernatural aspect to them. They're just bad people doing bad things, and they got their comeuppance. They're dead. End the story there. Let's have a happy ending for Fool. Let's not give him any more. He already, the shit with his mom, and oh, you know, he's already had it bad yeah. enough. So, but when we're talking about which one are we still talking about 30 years later, it's hard because they're both so impactful. And like I said, you're going to be getting the remake of The People Under the Stairs. Clarice, I believe, is coming soon, or it may already have aired the TV series. Um, and like you said, they had the... Everybody knows the sounds of the lambs, man. Even, you know, Jim Carrey and the cable guy, silence of the lambs <laughs> with the, you know, the turkey skin. And, mm-hmm. you know, Hannibal Lecter is a well-known name. It's almost a household name. People know the name Hannibal Lecter. Um, you know, candy. <laughs> you know, like, dumb and dumber, man. Like, you, all these things that even outside of the horror world, that apparently Jim Carrey just has an obsession with Sounds of the Lambs. I just put two and two together with Cable Guy and Dumb and Dumber. Right. There you but go. It's hard to, for even though I won't say what I want to say, I'll get to that when we get to the end. But I would have to say, which one are we talking about more 30 years later? I got to go Silence of the Lambs. Just because it had the more sequels. You got the TV show that's already aired or about to air. So it's got that, you know, the ball's rolling more at this moment on the Silence of the Lambs. Excellent choice, excellent choice. Genius. Um, I think we're going to be talking about Silence of the Lambs for two reasons, although we should be talking about one, and we will still be talking about actually both of them 30 years down the line, because I think People Under the Stairs has tapped into something that's not going to go away anytime soon. We're still going to have uh, improper distribution of wealth. We're still going to have systematic racism. We're still going to have all these terrible things that it addresses. However... People didn't even talk about people on the stairs when it was first came out. You know, it was it's still one of those underseen Craven classics. It's one of his better movies. But that mm-hmm. shocker, a couple of other great ones. This is prime prime Craven, but nobody's seen it. I mean, we've seen it. We're horror right. fans. People listening who have seen this as horror fans. But I think well, that's one reason why silence is gonna go, because nobody talked about it at the beginning. But another reason why silence should go is because that is the movie that normies can see. That is the movie that won so many awards. That is the movie with academic think pieces. That is also the one yeah. with all the spin-offs and sequels and multiple iterations. So even if it wasn't as like forthcoming, a harbinger of things to come when it comes to true crime and realistic things, it would still be talked about because of all the characters and spin-offs ad nauseum. So I think for that reason, we're still gonna be talking we're still gonna be talking about both. But more people are going to be talking about Sons of the Lambs. Yeah. 
And I'm going to piggyback off that because I do think 30 years from now, they will still be talking Silence of the Lambs and, again, the normies. And I think it's up to us that we should still be talking about people under the stairs 30 years later because I'm hoping, genius, ideally, that there's not the systematic racism right right now. I'm hoping this becomes a cautionary tale rather than a prescient tale. Yes. You know, and I'm hoping 30 years from now we can go, oh, my God, do you remember how bad that was? You know, at mm-hmm. that time versus everyone's still going to talk. We're still going to talk silence. I mean, good God, when we are in the nursing home, when goodbye horses Would comes you fuck up, me? I fuck me. You're, I fuck me so hard. you're going to bust a hip trying to get right. up there to do something uh. illicit, guaranteed. Sir, it's time for your medical rub down. Where should we put the lotion? Put the lotion in the basket. Right? Just like <laughs> he's going to be yelling. He's going to be yelling to you in the other room trying to make you swallow your tongue. <laughs> oh God! Please tell me you are not, you know, bunked next to multiple Migs. But, but by a count of four to two, making its way into the round of the frightful four. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs in the year of 1991. I'm not gonna lie, I was pulling for the people, but I'm good with silence. Silence had mine going all the way to the top of the bracket. So I do got to say what I was going to say earlier that I said I'd say towards the end. If we're talking about which movie we prefer, I'm going People Under the Stairs. Yep, I, I prefer People Under the Stairs to Silence of the Lambs. I think it's the better film. But, um, man, it's just Silence is – and this is just personal preference. Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. is still great. If one of them's on, I'm going to sit and watch it. I prefer People Under the Stairs, but the Silence of the Lambs is such a good movie. The performances are great besides some accents. And um, it's just it, – it's going to stand the test of time because no matter what, you're always going to have crazy people out there. Yeah. No matter yeah. what. Yeah. You know, like even though God willing, someday we can finally see that no matter what color the skin is, the blood is still red. Hopefully we can get to that point someday where we don't judge people by that. We don't live in that type of ignorance anymore. You're still always going to have people that are mentally unstable and they could be the biggest genius in the world, no pun intended, but None taken. They, they could, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things where I think silence is, it, it, it's one of those films that will always be in the annals of history, always. Like you said, it won awards, and that's unheard of for horror movies, to win awards. Well, No who, matter how great the movie or the performances are, it just doesn't happen. Well, who knows if it is going to possibly win the award of uh, Into the Mouth of March Madness winner of the year of 2021, but we could not have gotten here without our good friend Kent. So sincerely, man, thank you for, for coming in on the madness with us. Now, Would you subscribe to his channel? I'd subscribe to his channel. I subscribe so hard. Subscribe and if you channel. were going to subscribe to that channel, where can they find you again, Ken? Uh, you <laughs> now I'm stuck oh. thinking I'd subscribe hard. <laughs> Someone's smashing the subscribe button. Like, like, like. It puts the likes in the basket. <laughs> it puts the thumbs up. Was it a great big fat stream? <laughs> <laughs> so YouTube.com slash Sledgehammer Horror. Instagram at Sledgehammer Horror. Facebook at Sledgehammer Horror. And Twitter at Sledgehammer H O R. Excellent, excellent. Well, from the year of 1991, here next week, we're going to the new millennium. Uh, we hopefully will get by all the doomsday stuff, Y2K. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to see which <laughs> of the eight films from the year of 2001 will be joining Silence of the Lambs in the round of the Frightful Four. This is going to be fun. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Ba-ba-da-ba.